Everyone is uh, alive and awake this morning? Oh my goodness. Let's try that one more time. Hold on. Ready? Good morning, everybody. Everybody's alive and awake today? Ready for one more snow day? One more snow day. They say there's one more coming. And a two-hour delay on Tuesday. We have a prediction from a Fairfax County employee right there. Thank you very much. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Turn the alarm clocks off tonight. Tomorrow's canceled. Tuesday is a two-hour delay. All from the prophecy of Julie. What we are talking about here today, for those <laughs> from the book of Julie. What we are talking about is a different book today. All right? And what we are talking about is we're in the middle of a series. It's called You Are What You Eat. And we are talking about the most important book in the whole wide world, which is the Bible, the Word of God. And what we are talking about here is the same way that each one of us, our bodies, our physical fitness and our physical health is largely based on the food that we consume and what we put inside of our bodies in the same way our spirits and our souls are their health is largely determined by the spiritual food that we put inside so if all we do is put junk inside of us then we'll end up being junk but what we want to do during this season and during this series is really talk about how to feed our souls because if y'all remember in the first week I told y'all that if you put a microphone or a microscope inside to your soul and you could somehow interview your soul and you could ask your soul how you feeling these days a lot of our souls would say we're hungry we're not being fed we are confused we have no direction in life we are frustrated we have all kinds of problems and we can't seem to keep up with them so what our souls are screaming out is somebody feed me. Somebody feed me with the good food, the good stuff. And that's what we're talking about here in this series. First week in the series, we talked about, in case you weren't here, we talked about the reliability of the scriptures. And we talked about how the Bible is what it says it is. It is the word of God. And if you weren't here that week and you missed that talk, all right, and you struggle with how do we know the Bible is true and how can we believe what it says and science says this and all this Go back and listen to week one because we talked about it and we saw that without a shadow of a doubt, any person who's got a reasonable mind in their head would see that the Bible is what it says it is. It is the word of God. And then last week what we looked at is not what the Bible is, but what the Bible is supposed to do for us. And we saw how the Bible is supposed to be three things for us. Remember the role of the Bible is to cleanse our minds from all the junk that's around us and all the confusing thoughts and all the, the stuff around us that messes up our minds. The Bible is also there to give us faith because so much of the world tells us to not do this and you can't do this. The Bible gives us faith. And one word from God's mouth is enough to build a kingdom on and you can stand on that and you could go through a brick wall. And the third thing, remember, is the Bible is the light for our path. And we said how the Bible is like a flashlight and it shows me the next step. And then when I take that step, the flashlight shows me the next step and it just shows me the step right in front of me and that's what the scriptures are. Today we're going to answer the question that today really I don't need, oftentimes when I have something I'm going to preach, I have to say, okay, I had to make sure in the beginning that I make sure that everyone realizes how it's relevant to their lives. I have subject here. I have to make sure that you see it's relevant to your life. Today I don't need to do that because today speaks for itself. What we're going to talk about today is something every single person in this room has struggled with, has thought about has debated with, the only person who hasn't struggled with this is a person who's never picked up the Bible. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about the real reason that we don't read our Bible. Like we're going to go to the truth. Because oftentimes we dance around the issue and we say, um, we don't believe what it says. That's not true. Or we say that we don't have time. 
That's not true either. Or we say that we want to, but, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's a lot of things going on in my life. Not, does, none of that stuff is true. There's one reason why someone who doesn't read the Bible is not reading their Bible. And you know what that reason is? Is I don't get anything out of it. Bottom line is, all those other things are just excuses. The truth of the matter is, is that we, like the people in this nice little picture, that's how we feel when we open up our Bibles by ourselves. We look at it, and we get nothing out of it. And that's why I believe, I don't believe there are bad people in this room today. I don't believe that anyone is not reading the Bible because they're bad. I believe today people are not reading the Bible because they are frustrated. And you know why? Because you do like I do. You go one day, and you say, you know what? Man, I am in need of hope today. I'm in need of encouragement today. I'm in need of, like, God's light today. And you open it up, and you find Jacob begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Jeconiah, and Jeconiah begot Obed-Edom. You come one day, and you say, I got something in, in my marriage. I just need guidance, something about my husband. And then you open it up, and you read a whole bunch of rules about what to do with your donkey on the Sabbath day. And that is not about your husband, by the way, in case you do end up reading that, okay? <laughs> do not say that's about your spouse, all right? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Oftentimes, we hear a sermon, we're inspired, we want to read the Bible, and then we go to it, it has nothing to do with anything in our lives, right? Am I just, just me? We open it up, and we are coming seeking answers, seeking guidance, seeking something. And we open it up, and might as well be in Chinese. Because we don't understand a thing that it says, and even if we do understand it, what in the world does that have to do with my problem at work? What in the world does that have to do with my kid who won't listen to me? What in the world has got to do with my stress and my anxiety and all the problems that I need guidance? And you're giving me stuff that you give me names I never heard of, places I never can imagine or anything about them. It makes no sense. And we feel like the Bible, it's nice, it's cute, but it's not really relevant to our lives. Don't believe me? Some statistics. The Center for Study of Religion in American Culture did a stu study recently called The Bible in American Life. And they came up to the conclusion, okay, they asked people this question, and roughly 80%, a little bit under 80%, 79 point something, 80% of the people that they interviewed said that they believe that the Bible is the Word of God. They believe that the Bible is not a normal book, it is an inspired book, it is the Word of God. 80% of the people believe that. Okay, so if 80% of the people believe that this is not a normal book, this book was written by God, what percentage of people read their Bible daily? Nine. Nine. 80% say, I believe. 9% open it up on a daily basis. And even uh, go more, this 80% that believes, 50% of that 80%, that believes the word of God said that they haven't opened the Bible in the last year outside of church. 50% of the people who believe the Bible is the word of God, they're in church, they open the Bible, and they have the Bible at home, they never even touched the Bible in the past year, haven't opened it. Like 9% daily. But I'm talking about in the past year, 50% of the people haven't even opened it. And this isn't just statistics from a study somewhere else. Like, let's be honest. If we look at our own experience, like our own experience is better than any statistics or any study. The truth of the matter is, is a lot of us, every single person believes. But how many of us are open in our Bibles? And then on top of that, 
We believe it's the word of God. We don't open it. And then what is the number one most common question I get asked? Emails I get from people all over the world who don't know me and people who just try to find any way to reach me to ask me this one question. What's the one question they want to ask me? What does God want from me? How can I hear God's voice? What do you think God wants me to do in this situation? Either we, ha we have a problem here. Either people aren't very smart and have very short-term memories because they say, I believe this is the word of God, and I believe this is written to God. This is the message of God to me. And then they say, can anyone tell me what God wants me to do in life? There's a disconnect. Either people aren't very smart, or there's a problem that we can't understand what's in this Bible, and we are not benefiting from the words that are in it. If these 80% of the people, if 80% of the people really believed, really believed, and, and felt like, if I open up this book, I will hear God's voice speaking to me, and I will get divine solutions to human problems. Divine solutions to human problems. If I believe this verse, there's a verse in Psalm 119, verse 98, that your commands are always with me, and they make me wiser than my enemies. If I really believe that God's commandments make me wiser and smarter and better off than anybody else, do you think that 9% would remain at 9%, or maybe it would have an impact on our lives? Our goal today is to do what the 80% of the people say we should be doing. We're saying it's the word of God, and we're saying that it's God speaking to us. Well, if that's the case, we want to learn how to take this book, which is difficult for us and is confusing, and turn it into a divine experience. And to find inside my Bible, not boring, not dry, not confusing, but life-changing. Why is it that some people, same book, some people look at it and say it's boring. Some people look at it and they say, I cannot leave my house this day until I open it up and, and drank from it. Some people look at it and say, I don't get anything from it. Other people say, this book changed my life and my life has never been the same from this book. Because you have the same book and two people saying different things, clearly that shows us that either there's a problem with the book or there's a problem with us. Who thinks there's a problem with the book? Good. The problem is with you. And that's the best news ever. You know why? Because if the problem was with the book, there'd be no hope. Because the book ain't going to change. No one's going to change the book. But if the problem is with you, that's the best news ever. Because you can change. And what we want to talk about today is one thing, believe me. I could sit here and talk all day and all night about different things, ways to get stuff out of your Bible. But I really believe it comes down to one thing. One thing that if you can do this one thing, and you can change this one thing, that you can find life and meaning, and guidance, and purpose, and everything that you're looking for inside this one book. That's going to be our topic today. So if you've ever struggled to find meaning in the Bible, you came to church on a good weekend. Before we see how to do it, let's see how not to do it. Once upon a time, there was a man who wanted to find the will of God for his life, and he was struggling. He didn't know what to do, whether to go this way or this way, and he's really struggling with a decision that he had to make. So he did what sometimes people do which is the flip and dip. You know the flip and dip, right? You just kind of boom like this, and he put his finger down on a verse. That's the worst thing that you can ever do in the Bible. That's what I, this, we sometimes do that. That's what this guy did. And he did that, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he flipped, and he put his finger down, and he found it. John 27, verse 5, which said, Then he departed and went and hanged himself. He said, okay, that's a mistake. 
So he said, okay, I'm gonna flip, I'm gonna flip, I'm gonna flip, I'm gonna put my finger down again. And this time he found Luke 10, 37. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So he said, two out of three, all right? One more time, he did it one more time, one more time. He flipped, he flipped, he flipped, put his finger down, he found. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. The flip and dip is not a good methodology for finding the voice of God inside the scriptures. The Bible is not a fortune teller. The Bible is not the magic eight ball. The Bible is not your horoscope. It's not a fortune cookie from a Chinese restaurant, which tells you some magical thing. What the Bible is, is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We talked about this a little bit last week. The Bible is not given as a, open it up, find the answer to all my problems. The Bible is given as a book, as a manual, some would say, that the more you're in it, and the more you're reading it regularly, it is guiding you in all these areas. It is giving you doctrine. It's helping you up here to believe the right things. It is giving you reproof. All right, it is correcting you when you need correction. It is instructing you when you need instruction. Its purpose is that over the course of your life, your relationship with the Bible would make you complete, perfect, lacking nothing. Not one day of reading is going to make you perfect. But over the course of your life, as you continue to read and you continue to understand, there's no trick, there's no magic eight ball that gives you the answer to all your problems, but it's a relationship with the Word of God that makes us perfect, complete, lacking nothing. How is the question for today, though? How does that happen? I want to give you a general idea, all right, and then a specific. And it's going to be very, very simple. Not many points today, not many things to write down. One thing to understand, all right, and then one way that we're going to do that together. How am I going to find profit and value and find really God inside the Scripture? Well, simple. We need to open our eyes. How do you find God? Easy. You open your eyes. But you open the right set of eyes. You open your spiritual eyes. Did you know you have two sets of eyes? Did you know that you have a body, and that body has a physical set of eyes? And that physical set of eyes was given to you so that you can relate with and understand the physical world around you. If you didn't have these physical eyes, you couldn't understand the physical world. Well, did you know that you have spiritual eyes as well? And those spiritual eyes were given so you understand the spiritual world in which we exist as well. What do I mean by that? Let me explain that one. Okay, we're going to go first to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, see, the eyes of your heart, you have an eyes in your face, you have eyes in your heart. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparable, incomparably great power for us who believe. See, what we oftentimes don't realize is you live in two worlds at the same time. You live in a seen world and an unseen world. You live in a physical world, then in a spiritual world. I know that sounds kind of mystical and kind of weird and kind of crazy, but you know this to be true because you believe, just like I believe, that the world came into existence, like the physical world came into existence from the spiritual world. There's a spiritual world where God existed. God is spirit. 
and God had angels and, 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 and archangels and, and then demons and Lucifer. And that spiritual world existed way before the physical world. And then at a moment in time, the physical world was created from the spiritual. The spiritual gave birth to the physical. And the physical is bound here for a little bit, but the physical, that's going to go away. But the spiritual is what's going to last forever, right? That's why we say one of the verses that we say often is we do not love the world nor the things which are in the world, for the world shall pass away. But the will of God, he who does the will of God, abides forever. Jesus also said it. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. There's a spiritual world and a physical world. When you're born, you get physical eyes. Hopefully, God willing, when you come out, they open up, you see the world around you. When you're born spiritually, you get spiritual eyes. But the difference between the spiritual eyes and the physical eyes is the spiritual don't automatically open by themselves. We need to make sure that those things are open so that we can relate to and see the spiritual world around us. Okay, this is kind of weird. Now I'm talking about spirit, like this is kind of weird. I, I understand this is kind of weird, but let me ask you a different way. Are there things that you believe in that you cannot see? Yeah. For example, in my head, there's a brain. Anybody seen my brain? Anybody ever seen my brain? No, you've never seen it. Why? Because you don't have the right set of eyes to see it. You can't see it. Now, if I gave you a different set of eyes, a microscope or a, a maybe not a microscope. Uh, uh, yeah, actually, mine doesn't need a microscope. Mine needs uh, the opposite. Okay, something that's so large. Okay, microscope means no. Uh, the, the thing that the doctor sticks in your ear to see your brain. You know that thing? The stick in there, the stick in your nose. If you had one of those things or a, a, a MRI, CAT scan, am I anywhere near the right thing? Okay, CAT scan was right probably, right? CAT scan. If you had CAT scan for eyes, you'd be able to see what physical eyes can't see. Because I have a brain in there, but you can't see it with your eyes. But if you have a different set of eyes, something called a CAT scan, then you can see it. Same thing spiritually. There are many spiritual... Unseen doesn't mean unreal. Unseen doesn't mean unreal. My brain and your brain are very real parts of us that nobody can see. But if somebody has an extra special set of eyes, they can see it. Same thing in the spiritual world. There are spiritual things going on around us that you cannot see. That doesn't make them not real. It just makes them not seen. I hope you realize that every page of the Bible, every page of the Bible has unseen mysteries revealed. Every page of the Bible has unseen, not unreal, real but unseen, has unseen guidance, light, cleansing, all the stuff we talked about last week. Every page of the scripture has mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, which people have been searching and philosophers and all that kind of stuff. That stuff is revealed to us unseen in every page of the scripture. So what we need to do is we need to make sure we got our eyes, like St. Paul says here, our eyes would be open, enlightened, so that we can see those things. Because if not, we're looking at them. It's exactly like if I get a manual, okay, uh, of uh, something I want to build, and the manual's written in Korean or in Chinese. It's a, there's mysteries inside there. How this thing works. Mysteries. How my VCR works. It's all in there, but I can't read it because my eyes can't see Korean or my eyes can't see Chinese. Well, same thing in the scriptures inside here is there's mysteries revealed, answers, problems. Anything that you need is inside here. But the question is, do we have eyes to see it? I'll give you an example from the Bible. We're going to go to a story in Luke chapter 24. 
The story in Luke chapter 24 is a famous story that takes place on the very first Easter Sunday afternoon. Jesus died on the cross on Friday, rose very early Sunday morning. Some of the women saw that saw him, but then he kind of disappeared from him. And then the disciples went and they saw that the tomb was empty, but they didn't really know where he was. Later on that day, you have two disciples of Jesus. And they are leaving Jerusalem, going back to wherever it is that they're going. And the reason why they're leaving is because the disciples, let's put ourselves in their shoes for a little bit. These disciples had gone through a very tough 72-hour period. They had Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, the one who's going to solve all their problems. They had already left their jobs, left their homes, left everything to follow him. He's going to take us to the promised land. He's the one who provided our food. He's the one who provided our income. He provided everything for us. And then what happened to him? He got killed. All of our dreams and hopes shattered. Not just that. They killed him. Who are they going to go for next? Us. We're his followers. Surely they're going to come after us. So these guys in a 72-hour period went from on top of the world to about as low as you can get. So these two disciples are leaving town. They're getting out of Dodge early before the bad guys come and get them. While they're walking on that road, a very interesting ha thing happens to them. We'll pick up the story in verse 13. It says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. They're walking on the road from Jerusalem down to Emmaus. They're talking about, man, I can't believe Jesus got killed. This is the worst thing ever. What are we going to do? My wife's going to kill me and all this kind of stuff. And then some guy shows up and it's Jesus. But they don't know it is. Say, hey, buddy, come join us. And they start chatting with Jesus on the road. What's the discussion go? Verse 16. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Jesus saying, is like, why are you guys in such a bad mood? Like, what's going on? So they say, one of them whose name was Clopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and you have not known things which happened here in these days? He said to them, what things? This is a funny conversation. This is a funny conversation. Like sometimes you got to realize God has much of a sense of humor as the rest of us. He likes to pull a fast one on sometimes. And we all like a good laugh. So they're walking down and they're miserable. I can't believe this happened. This is the worst thing that ever happened. And he says, what you guys talking about? What's going on? So they say, are you uh, under a cave? Or are you living in a cave? Are you born under a rock? You're the only guy in town who doesn't know what happened? Everything that happened, everyone in the whole world knows what happened these past few days. And he says, tell me what things. And then they go on, and they start to tell him. All right, and they basically tell him, Jesus was this great guy. We thought he was the Messiah, and then he got killed. And now that he got killed, that we're in trouble, and all this kind of stuff. And basically, they did this so long sob story about how Jesus got killed and their life is over. And then Jesus responds to them. We skip a little bit and go to verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, after they told their long story, he said, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Pause right here, and I just want everybody to take comfort in the fact that here you have two disciples of Jesus standing face to face with Jesus, knew the scriptures inside out, and now he's explaining to them the same scriptures 
that we are clueless on when we read, they apparently were clueless on it as well. So take comfort in that. We're not the only ones who don't understand it. They were as well. After that, he's explaining to them the scripture. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to stay with them. They felt something special about this guy, so he's explaining to them about himself, okay, but they still didn't get it. Now here we go. Verse 30 is where their eyes are open. And it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. This is the holy moly moment of a lifetime that we just walked this entire way telling Jesus how it stinks that Jesus is no longer with us. We spent the entire trip telling Jesus that our lives are over and there's no answer to all the problems because Jesus is dead and Jesus is not with us and Jesus has left us. And then all of a sudden they realize, holy moly, Jesus has been with you the entire time. You know what that is? That's every single day when we open the scriptures. We open it up. We say, there's nothing here. I don't see anything. This story makes no sense. Every time I read this story in Luke 24, I'm reminded of exactly what happens when every time we open the scriptures, we open it up, we say, this is boring. This makes no sense. I don't understand it. How come God doesn't guide me? How come God isn't speaking to me? And then all of a sudden you have that holy moly moment where your eyes are opened and you say, oh my goodness, he's been speaking the whole time. You ever had one of those moments? Maybe you don't have them every day. But I bet you there's been a time in your life where you've read the same verse, the same story that you heard a thousand times. And all of a sudden it was, holy moly, Jesus is really speaking to me in this story. That's where we want to get to. It is not uncommon as it was with the disciples that you have Jesus right in front of you and you can't see him. That's exactly what happened. He was right in front of them and they couldn't see him, which is exactly every single day we open this and he's right in front of us, but sometimes we can't see it. How do we open up the eyes of our heart? What is the secret to open the eyes of our heart? There's one thing that, as I said, if you do this one thing, I don't want to say it like it's like a formula. I don't want to say it like it's a, like a trick that we play on God, but I'm telling you, if you do this one thing, I promise you, the level of understanding of Scripture will skyrocket. The level, of, again, not in one day. Don't, I'm not saying in one day. I'm talking about o- over a consistent period. I'm not saying you do this one day, you read it one day, and you got all your answers, all the problems answered. I'm saying if you have this attitude in life, one thing. And who's going to give us this answer? Mr. Miyagi is going to give us the answer to this. Y'all remember the movie Karate Kid? That's before y'all's time. Y'all remember Karate Kid? Okay. Karate Kid is a fantastic movie. Many spiritual lessons. Okay. Many, 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 many. All right. Basically, in the movie, for those who've never seen it, there's a guy. His name is Daniel Sun, okay? And he comes to Mr. Miyagi, and he asks him to teach him karate. And Mr. Miyagi, okay, they develop this, like, disciple-protege relationship. And Mr. Miyagi, like, tells him, you have a part in this, and I have a part in this. You do your part, I'll do my part. And he tells him very eloquently in very few words, all right, exactly what his part is and what Daniel's son's part is. Y'all remember this line from the movie? All right, we'll play it right now. The audio's kind of low, so let's see if it works here. Ready? You promise, learn. I say you do. No question. That you part. You get it? That's one more time. Let's do it one more time. You promise, learn. 
I say you do. No question. That's your part. What was Mr. Miyagi teaching us? He said, you promise, learn, I say, you do, no question. I say, you do, no question. What is Mr. Miyagi telling Daniel's son here? Mr. Miyagi unlocks a secret here for us. The number one factor that is going to lead, let's do Mr. Miyagi and then the Bible. The number one factor for you as a karate pupil to learn karate from me, the master, the number one thing is going to be the attitude with which you approach me. Agree? Because I have a karate class of 50 people, and I'm going to do the same moves, okay, of karate, and I'm going to give the same instruction, and one's going to be a black belt, and the other one's going to be a nobody. Why? Based on the attitude of the listener or of the pupil. Agree? One who comes in and says, this man is my master, whatever he says I do. Another one comes and says, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Attending the class, reading the books, none of that stuff is as important as the attitude of the listener. Y'all agree? Bible. God speaks plainly to the one who listens submissively. God speaks plainly to the one who listens submissively. Said another way, I say you do no question. One person comes to the Bible and says, I have a question. I want to see what the Bible's going to say, and then I'll think about it. Another person comes to the Bible and says, I have a problem. I'm going to open up the Bible, and I'm going to read it every day of my rest of my life, and whatever it tells me I'm going to do. I'm telling you, those two people can read the same passages and read the exact same words and night and day between, their between the outcome for those two people. The first guy will read it, and say the Bible eh, kind of gives some okay advice, but yeah. The second guy will say, the Bible is the life-giving word of God. Said another way is when I approach the Bible, who's the master and who's the pupil? Because if we're honest, a lot of us approach this book and we make ourselves the master. You tell me what you have to say, and then I will judge you to see if what you're saying is good or not good. I will judge you. Versus the one who comes to say, you, God, who wrote the scriptures, are the judge, and I'm coming to submit myself to you. Which one do you approach the scriptures with? God does not, I read this nice quote one time, God never gave the ten suggestions, God gave the ten commandments. God doesn't give suggestions that we review and get back to him and give him our analysis of. God gives commandments only, and the one who approaches with a submissive heart the one who says, I'm going to obey you, God. The one who says that I'm coming to listen to you and whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do that one. God will speak to that one. Eyes will be opened. That one will see God in a new way. And I bet you that the majority of time when we open the scriptures and we don't find nothing inside the scriptures, it's not that the text is wrong or the text is irrelevant. It's that our attitude is wrong and our attitude needs to be changed. Why? Because God speaks plainly to the one who listens submissively. Say it with me. God speaks plainly to the one who listens submissively. I didn't hear everybody say it again. God. Don't listen to anything else I say. Get this. This is the only one thing that I want you to take away from what I'm saying today. That God speaks plainly to the one who listens submissively. 
The Bible is not an ordinary book. Let me get, let's get a little theoretical here. When we read an ordinary book, what do we usually do? There's a relationship between the book and my mind. And usually the relationship is my mind is above and the book is down. So I go to this book for information and then I process the information in my mind and I say, does the information in this book match what is in my mind, my knowledge, my experience? Does it match? And if yes, okay, then I incorporate it in. But if no, then I throw it away. For example, I read uh, not something, says, uh, magazine says, exercise is good. Exercise is good. Magazine says, exercise is good. That fits with my knowledge. Okay, what I know, that fits with my experience. I feel good when I exercise. I read another magazine that says, um, it's good to punch yourself in the back of the head. All right, punching yourself in the head is very good. I'd say that doesn't match my experience nor my knowledge of what feels good in life. So I would reject that. We can't do that to the Bible, though. We can't go to the Bible with our mind here and the Bible here as if it's some information that we have to incorporate in if we agree or don't agree, or if we agree or if we like it. That's not the Bible. The Bible is the opposite. The goal of the Bible is not to put information in my head. The goal of the Bible is to put my life inside it or better, inside its author. The Bible is the book, the only book in the world where the goal of the book is not information. The goal of the book is a relationship with the writer. How many other books do you read that you can speak to the writer in the same moment that you're reading? The Bible was given to us to lead us into a divine, eternal, everlasting relationship. You can't fit that inside your head. So answer this question honestly. Be honest and answer this question. Sorry, this question. Be honest. Do I judge the Bible or does the Bible judge me? And be honest. Because if you're judging the Bible, I bet you're not going to get much out of it. Bible says, he who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And my mind says, the Bible, the, the text said, looking and doing equal adultery. My mind says, no. Looking isn't as bad as doing. So my mind says. My mind says doing is bad, but looking, eh. Who's, who's judging who? The Bible says, forgive 70 times 7. My experience says, no, don't forgive. If you forgive, they're going to do it to you again. Who's judging who? The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, let your request be made known to God. My experience said, that's not possible to really not worry. My experience says that praying about it really isn't going to do anything. Who is judging who? The Bible's easy when it says, love your neighbor. That's great. That's beautiful. Everyone, okay, I agree with it. I agree with the Bible. Um, honor your father and mother. Yeah, we don't really want to, but okay. Because we, we'll be fathers and mothers. We say, okay, we'll let that one go too. Don't steal. Don't murder. Okay, we agree with those. Those are fine. But the problem is I'm still the one who's judging them. I'm judging the commandments, and I'm saying this commandment is okay. This commandment is okay. But what's going to happen when you get a commandment that doesn't fit here? What's going to happen when you get not love your neighbor but love your enemy? 
What's going to happen when you get not honor your father and mother? But what's going to say when it says, bless those who persecute you and pray for those who spitefully use you? Who is judging who? You know who had this problem with judging the word of God? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were given a word from God. Don't eat of this fruit. That's not that word. That's good. Don't eat of this fruit. Don't eat of this fruit. They said, okay, makes sense. And then the serpent came and says, no, actually, it doesn't make sense. It's like, hey, you know what? You're right, it doesn't make sense. And they judged the word of God, the commandment of God, and because of that, they lost everything. Had they only been able to, that was this verse that I put in the wrong place. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Had they only been able to humble themselves under that word of God and say, I don't understand your word. I don't get your word, but I submit to your word. Had they only been able to do that, we'd all be in a different position right now. Who is judging who in your relationship with the word of God? Are you judge the Bible? You go to the Bible to submit yourself or you go to the Bible to submit it to your way of thinking. I promise you, you change this one thing. Look, all the other things, um, like the translation that we read and the time of day that we read and if we journal or don't journal or all that stuff, that stuff is great. Those, all those techniques, those make up 5% of your benefit from the scriptures. 5%. 95% of your ability to, to hear God's voice in the scripture, 95% is your attitude, is not your technique. Our problem, though, is that we focus 95% of our time on the technique. Oh, no, I need to sit in this chair and face this way. No, maybe if I face this way. Maybe if I did it in the morning, maybe if I didn't eat. Maybe if I read it on the Bible on my head, or maybe we have all these different techniques that we do. And this translation, and I write all those techniques, that's great. 95% of the problem is an attitude. Is it not in technique? St. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is his prayer that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which does what? The, not, the love of Christ does what? It passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You cannot put an immeasurable God, immeasurable God, in a very measurable and finite little pea brain that's inside your head. And if you are trying to put an infinite, eternal God, and make him fit by the rules of your brain, you are trying to put the ocean inside a little four, uh, six ounce uh, plastic cup. You're trying to put the ocean inside that little plastic cup, you, it's never going to work. The only way this relationship is going to work is if you take that cup and you throw it in the ocean and you let it wherever the ocean leads it. And we need to do that same thing in the relationship between us and the scripture. Like I said, there's no bad people in this room today. There's no one who doesn't believe in the Bible. There's no one who doesn't want the Bible to give them life. There's no one who doesn't want answers and guidance and comfort and hope. There's no one who doesn't want the peace which surpasses understanding. There's no one who doesn't want to be filled with the fullness of him who fills all in all. No one doesn't want that. Our problem is not that we're bad. Our problem is that we approach the scriptures with the wrong attitude. Don't believe me? Put this in your head now. What would my life look like if I approached the Bible and whatever it told me, I did? 
What would my life look like? Let's start small. What would my family look like? My immediate family. If the words of scripture and how we relate to one another and how we treat people who hurt us and how we treat people who offended us and how we deal, what if those words of scripture, if we took those and we followed those and we submitted ourselves to those, what would our families look like? What would my friendships look like? All those words about backbiting and gossiping and talking about one another. All those, you know, ridiculous commandments that none of us do. What if those, what if we submitted ourselves to those? What our friendships look like? What would happen if I go to God and I go to his word and I say, my career, my finances, my future, all that, I submit it before you, and you guide me. And I'm not saying, again, I don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying I'm going to go tomorrow and it's going to tell me to leave. Every, not like that. I'm saying that I make my decisions based on your word and what you teach me in your word and the principles that you teach me. And every principle that you teach me, I don't take it as theoretical. I take it as fact. Why? Because I know that God speaks plainly, to the one who listens submissively. Say it again. God speaks plainly to the one who listens submissively. Say it one more time. God. Mr. Miyagi has a wealth of information. And if you, Daniel, son, you come and say, you teach me, then you will never have a shortage of information, never shortage of knowledge. But the question is, is do we have that submissive attitude? Now, before I, before I finish up here, I say to you, you submit yourselves entirely to God and to his word. And whatever he says, we do. We don't question. We don't argue. Okay? He say, we do. No question. For a lot of us, that's a scary thought. Let's be honest. As I'm saying it, some of us are sitting here and saying, that's scary. Like, I want to give God the keys, but uh, I don't know if I'm ready to give him the keys to the car. Like, can't you just kind of like tell me where to go and I'll drive there? Like, can't, can't we still, can't we like share? Like you hold one side of the wheel, I hold the other side of the wheel. A lot of us, it's a scary thought to give God full control and to really submit to whatever I read before I read it. I'm submitting before I read it. I'm submitting to what it says. That's a very scary thought. But you know why this is a scary thought? It's because you don't know your father in heaven very well. Me, I'm an earthly father. I'm not a heavenly father. I'm an earthly one. And I got flaws and I got weaknesses. And if my son comes to me today, nine years old, and says, Dad, whatever you want for the rest of my life, I will never question. I will do what you say, when you say it, how you want me to do it. Whatever you say, I will never disobey you again. How am I going to respond as a dad? Big mistake, boy. Big mistake. You're going to mow the lawn. You're going to do the dishes. You're going to get my oil changed, even though you're only nine. You're still going to learn how to do it. YouTube, all that kind of stuff. Big mistake. You just made the biggest mistake of your life. Go get my laundry. Go make my bed. Go clean something. Any dad in the universe would do that. Any dad in the universe would say, now I got you. Sucker! Any dad? Why do we think he would? 
Why do we think he would? I'm an earthly dad. I got all kinds of problems. I'm selfish sometimes. I'm lazy sometimes. I would never do that to my kid. Why do you think our heavenly father, our father who art in heaven, would ever do that to you? What I discovered as a dad, okay, and dads and moms too, but as dads, as a dad, I want what's good for my son more than he wants it. Does that make sense? Like, I want his good more than he wants his good. Like, he wants his good, but I really, really, really want his good. And that's why he could say, okay, sweets, okay, no dinner, but I really, really want his good. So I'm going to force him to do some stuff because I really want his good. And even if I make mistakes, my desire for his good, it cannot be matched. I want his good more than he wants his good. And I promise you, God wants your good more than you want your good. God wants to lead you more than you want to be led. God wants to give you hope more than you desire that hope. God wants to comfort you in your trials and tribulations and hardships more than you desire that comfort. I promise you, because he's our father who art in heaven. And when are we going to get to the point where we take that step and we say, God, man, I don't know, but I trust you. And I'm taking a step because I know that you speak plainly to the one who listens submissively. And God, I'm approaching your word and I will submit whatever you say in your word, I will do. I promise you, life is not a game of hide and seek. God wants to reveal himself. But the question is, when will we come with a submissive attitude? We've been doing some memory verses for the past few weeks, so we try to get it into the scripture, and we try to keep the scripture with us. This week's memory verse is very easy, very simple. I'm going to say it, we're going to say it right now, and then you're going to say this every time you open the scripture. Every time. Let's say it all together. Psalm 119, 18. Say it with me. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your laws. Psalm 119, 18. Say it with the reference. Again, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your laws. Psalm 119, 18. This is what we're going to do. We're going to open the scripture. But before we do, we're going to say, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your laws. I submit, Lord, to your law. Whatever it is, open my eyes that I may see it. We're going to listen to a sermon on the internet. Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things. We're going to pray this prayer all throughout. We're going to keep God's word inside of our hearts, inside of our minds. Because we know, just like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, that we know that God is with us. And just because we haven't seen him doesn't mean that he's not there. We know he's there. And sometimes when he turns on the light, we're going to realize, man, he was a lot closer than we realized. Like we were really dum-dums walking on that road of life. And we were complaining. We were asking God, where are you? And the whole time, he was right there with us. So we're going to pray. Let's say it one last time. Here's what we're going to pray. What are we going to pray? We're going to pray. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your laws. Psalm 119.18. Let's stand together for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you because we know that you never leave us alone. Even, Lord, when we feel like we're in darkness, and we feel like we're confused, and we don't know where to turn, Lord, we know that you are with us. You promised it a thousand times, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the ages. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. Open our eyes to see you in, in, in your word every time we open it. Open our eyes, Lord, to see you working in the circumstances and the events of our day-to-day -day life, like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Lord. Open our eyes that we may see you in front of us, speaking to us, 
feeding us and guiding us and giving us everything that we need. I pray, Lord, for every person who's standing before you, that you would open their eyes of their heart, that they may see beautiful things and wonderful things inside your law, and they would find life, and they would find everything that they need inside your word. We pray this in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week. See you all next week. No music.